Praise the Lord. Would you stand with me if you can? And we want to do our declaration this morning. It says, Lord, today by faith, we declare that we are walking in the manifestation season. As your faithful remnant, we will house your very presence. We are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, and he has delivered us from all of our troubles and fears. We are no longer victims, but we are victors in Christ. We will not be deceived by the lies of the enemy, but we will give health, healing, and wholeness to the hopeless and those in despair. We will live under your anointing and see the revealed purpose of Christ in each of our lives. We declare your everlasting word on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. You may be seated. We go, Lord, in prayer. Father, we thank you again for this beautiful day. We thank you for your love. We thank you for our pastor and the word of which you have given him. We pray right now, Lord, that you give him liberty. Let the Holy Spirit work through him this morning to bring to us what you've put in his heart. We give you praise in Christ's name. Amen. Praise the Lord. It's so good to be in the house of the Lord. I'm like David. I was glad when they said, let's go to the house of the Lord. I love the house of the Lord. How many love the house of the Lord? Amen. The Bible tells us in the book of Hebrews chapter 10 verse 25, not to forsake the assemblings of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but we are to come together exhorting one another and so much more as we see that day approaching. It's good to be with you here this morning. We're going to be taking our text again from Zechariah chapter 1, verse 17 through 21. We've taken that in the last two Sundays. This is the third Sunday. Maybe we'll get off of it next week. I hope so. But the Lord just will not allow me to leave this text just as of yet. We're going to be doing a little bit of an introduction at the beginning of the sermon to let some of the people that have not been here know where we're at. But right at the end of the sermon, in the middle ways of the sermon, we're going to get into what the Lord is speaking new to us as a congregation here. And I want to tell you, the Lord's speaking very loudly to us, isn't he? Aren't you glad for the moving presence of the Holy Spirit? Could you honor the Lord today in giving praise for that? Let's never take it for granted. Amen. Thank God for our worship team and the musicians that we have, but more importantly, thank God that God has come down and anointed them and blessed them and stirred their spirits and, and been with them. And he's gonna be with us in the preaching of the word today as well. Let's look at Zechariah chapter one, starting with verse 17. Cry yet, saying this, saith the Lord of hosts, my cities through prosperity shall yet be spread abroad and the Lord shall yet comfort Zion and shall yet choose Jerusalem. Then lifted I my eyes and saw, and behold, four horns. And I said unto the angel that talked with me, What be these? And he answered me, These are the horns which have scattered Judah, Israel, and Jerusalem. And the Lord showed me four carpenters. And then said I, What come these to do? And he spake, saying, These are the horns which have scattered Judah, so that no man did lift up his head. But these are come to fray them, to cast out the horns of the Gentiles, which lifted up the horn over the land of Judah, to scatter it. I'm going to ask Brother Marvin again, would you pray over uh, my, the anointing on me today? In Jesus' name, amen.
Amen. Last week, we talked about how that the children of Israel stopped working on the assignment to rebuild the temple on their return home from their captivity from Babylon. We talked about how that on the arrival of Zerubbabel, the governor, and upon the arrival of the high priest, Joshua, along with 40,000 Jews, how that they had an assignment to rebuild the temple, and eventually they had the assignment to rebuild not only the city of Jerusalem, but the walls around about her. And even though they started out on task by removing the ruin and the rubble of the old fallen temple, and in its place they laid the foundation of the new temple, yet that work was soon stopped due to them becoming discouraged and losing their passion. We talked about all of that, and I, I'm just going to give us a little bit of an introduction. And one of the things that we cannot do at the Palace of Praise is become discouraged. And we cannot allow our passion to fall because the passion is the driving force of what brings the productivity in the spirit realm. If you lose your passion, you have nothing left. An uh, unpassionate um, um, person is a dead person. Can I have an amen? It is the passion that propels you into your destiny. But though they started out well, we see you they were on a path not to finish well. And you know, it's one thing to start this thing, but it's another thing to finish. As a matter of fact, Jesus even told us that before you go out here and you start building a house or a temple, he said, you got to count your cost unless you start it, but you don't finish it. And then people make fun of you and they bring you to shame. And that is the way it is in our spiritual journey as well. Those of us that come into this thing in this race, this spiritual life called Christianity, you and I have not only come into this place, to become the part of the redeemed, but we are a part of a new culture. We're a part of the kingdom culture. Can I have an amen? We are alienated from the life of the culture of the, of the earth because we have a new culture called the kingdom of God, and we are to be a counterculture into this culture. You know, we always hear people always talking about, well, when things get bad, God's going to rapture the church. Well, that's not true. God has placed us right here in the midst of this opposition to be a light in a dark place to be salt in order to be able to help people come to know Jesus Christ. And can I tell you that you and I are kingdom people, say we're kingdom people, and we are to bring a counterculture to this country, and we are we have a kingdom culture that we're supposed to flow in. But I'm concerned that the same it is with our spiritual assignments like that of the Jews. Sometimes we start well, but we don't always follow through. We mean well, but some Sometimes we don't persevere. Sometimes we come short of the goals and the objectives that God has set before us. And the Bible tells us that it's not only important for us to enter into the race, but you and I also have to finish this race. The Bible tells us in the book of Matthew chapter 10 verse 22, you're going to be hated of all men for my name's sake. And he talks about the offenses and he talks about the, the, the different hindrances and he talks about the different fights and the different struggles. But he said, but he that endureth to the end, the same shall be saved. You're going to be hated of all men, but he that endureth unto the end, the same is he that's going to be saved. But we have to, we have to take notice of what kind of path that we're on and how is our momentum? How are we doing? What is our progress? What shape is our passion in? How is our faith? We all need to be very analytical in our lives and say, how am I doing spiritually? Where am 
I at? What am I doing? What am I pursuing? What am I hungering for? What's lacking in my life? What is it that I need to change? What is it that I need to regroup in? Every single one of us need to keep the spiritual life always before us, analyzing it, critiquing it, perfecting it for the cause of Jesus Christ. Can I have an amen? We are striving for excellence. We are striving to hit the high calling in Christ Jesus like the apostle Paul did. We must hunger and we must thirst after righteousness. We must pursue the presence of God. That's what we're here to do. We have to take notice of what kind of path that we're actually on, how our momentum is, and how are we doing. It is the Apostle Paul that said in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7 and 8, I have fought a good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. And then he says, henceforth, you know what the word henceforth means? He said, because I have done these things, because I have fought the good fight, because I have finished the course, because I have kept the faith, therefore there's a crown of righteousness that has been laid up for me, not only for me, but for all of them that look for his appearing. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24 and verse 25, Paul went on to say, know you not that they which run in a race, they run all, but one receiveth the prize, so run that you may obtain. And then he goes on in the next verse, in verse 25, and he tells you the importance of why that we're running, why we are contending, why that we are in this thing. He says, every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. He's self-controlled. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible crown. He's talking about eternity here. He's telling us there are people that get in the race, they're temperate, they're self-controlled. They go out here and they develop their skills and they develop they develop their, 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 their muscles and they develop all the different parts of their body to endure the long haul for the race. And he said, but even though they do that in a natural sense, you and I are to be much more doing that in a spiritual sense because we're not doing it for a corruptible crown. We're doing it for an incorruptible crown. Can I have an amen? We are to fight the good fight of faith so that we can lay hold of eternal life. We are to endure hardness as a good soldier. Look at somebody and say, hang in there. The race is not over yet. Come on, somebody help me preach here this morning. Woo! Last week we talked about the, how that prophecy was hanging over the children of Israel's head to finish the temple and to rebuild the city. It had been prophesied that they would do this. God had spoken it. And God had declared blessings and he had prophesied their return. He even got specific in the book of Isaiah and in the different prophets of how that they would be in exile for 70 years. And upon the very declaration of God's promise for them, we see that these four horns of power that we've been talking about rising up, trying to to stop or to hinder them for fulfilling the prophetic word that God had spoken over them. With prophecy hanging over their heads and decreed blessings from God being spoken out of God's own mouth, these people came into the influences of the horn instead of believing and taking heed to the spoken word of God. That was our message last week. This resulted in an 18-year setback due to the slothfulness and the apathy of the children of Israel not obeying God's command. It's important that we obey the spirit of the Lord. 
It's important that we hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. It's important that we understand that you and I have a mandate to be obedient to the things of the Spirit. We talked last week that the horns revealed in the Scripture that it was actually talking about the nations and the, and the power that they had that was involved in Israel being scattered in the first place. We know that the Assyrians scattered and destroyed the ten northern kingdoms and we also understand that it was Babylon that had come in and destroyed Judah and Jerusalem. However, we also use the horn symbolically due to the kind of war that raged against them in the now. Not the way they done it in the first time, but now there's a different tactic taking place. And let me tell you, the enemy does not fight fair. He does not always fight the same way. He tricks us up. He is a master deceiver. Can I have an amen? This time the enemy, they did not come against Israel and Judah with spears and swords and shields and weaponry. This time the enemy played mind games with the children of Israel, both external and internal. And the greatest battlefield that you and I will ever face in our life, the greatest battle that you and I will ever engage in is the battle in the mind. Come on. That's the biggest battlefield that you have. And one of the biggest enemies you have is yourself. Bringing yourself under subjection to the word of God is very difficult. And the enemy will come in and he will plague your mind with all kinds of different kinds of things, which we're going to deal with here in a moment. What a, the greatest battle that you have is the battle of your thinking process because whatever you come to believe, that's what you will obey. Whatever you come to believe, that's what you will become. Whatever you come to believe is what you will actually do. Your belief system is the driving factor of your life. Out of the abundance of your heart of what you believe, even the mouth's going to speak it. And if you speak things that is negative, it's because you believe in those negative things. Whatever comes out of your mouth is what defiles the man. It's not what you put in the mouth. Because what comes out defiles the man because that's who you are. That's what you become. It is the revelation of where you're at spiritually. When a man curses and swears and negative and gossips and slanders and full of envy and strife and spreads discord and things of that nature, it is who he is because that is his belief system of what he's saying. Can I have an amen? To say one has faith in something but does not pursue it is not faith at all. To say that you believe in something but do not support it with your financial support or your physical sacrifice is hypocrisy at its highest level. Faith is an action word. Faith and faithfulness cannot be separated. If you believe in something, you'll be devoted to it. If you really believe in something, if you believe in God, you'll be devoted to your God. This business of sitting on a fence is not faith. Having one leg over in the world and one leg over in, in, the, in, the, in the spirit world and one in the natural world is not faith because whatever you pursue is what is going to be, whatever you pursue is determined by what's in your heart and what you're devoted to and what you believe in. Can I have an amen? If you believe in something, you will follow through in whatever it takes for that thing to come to pass. I'm hungry for revival. I said, I'm hungry for revival. I'm pursuing it. Amen. I, I, I'm going after it. With or without you, this old preacher's going after it. Can I have an amen? This is why that James says in James 2 and 18, yea, a man says that he has faith and I have works. Show me your faith by your works and I'll show you my faith by my works. He said that because work, faith without works is dead being alone. 
The manifestation of works should be the evidence of the inward faith that produces those works. I'm doing what I'm doing because it's who I am. It's a part of what my DNA it's a part of what's inside of me. What's inside of me is a driving force and whatever the driving force is inside of me will be manifested on the outward appearance in my behavior and in my deeds, in my talk, in my speech and in my walk. Can I have an amen? Don't tell me you believe in something but you don't want to work to achieve it or pursue that which has been promised to you. Don't sit around waiting for something to happen. Make it happen. Everybody's sitting around. You know, one of the things I see that, that irritates me the most is certain people that think they have spiritual hunger. Come on now, don't get mad at me. Look at somebody say, don't get mad at what the pastor's about to say. Amen? But it really irritates me because I want to help them so bad. But I can almost tell you who's going to receive it at an altar and who is it. There are times when you're flowing in the spirit and you come up to somebody and they're just standing there like a stone cold person waiting for something to happen to them. They're wanting it, they're there. They may have stepped toward it, but they don't know how to pursue it. I want to tell you, if you want it, you got to do more than just come up, okay, God, if you want me to have it, let it fall on me. you got to come up and say, no, it's mine. I want it. It's mine. You declared it. You decreed it. I want it. I praise you for it. I ask you for it. I pursue it. I want it. Can I have an amen? I'm about to start preaching again. Woo-hoo. I feel that spirit I felt last Sunday. Amen. Well, hallelujah. Well, here we go. I got to calm down just a little bit. Somebody better lift their hand and praise the Lord for a moment. God's speaking to us right here. Get ready. If you want, I'm going to give you the key of how to learn how to yield to the presence of God. The key is don't wait to, to fall upon you, cause it to fall upon you by pursuing it with everything that's within you. Amen? Faith will pursue. Faith will go after it. Faith will lay claim on it. Faith will grab hold of it. Faith will step out. Can I have an amen? If it's believed by a person, it will show up in his effort to have it, to receive it and achieve it. Whatever the cost of the sacrifice is, he won't care. There will become a hunger that will be unquenchable. I gotta have it. It's driving me crazy. I remember when Randy West was seeking for the Holy Spirit. Never had been raised in Pentecost. Didn't know a lot about Pentecost, but he'd come on Ninth and Cedar and he had given his life to the Lord and he was so hungry. And I remember one service, he came up and he said, he came down and he started praying and we had a pastoral something going on downstairs, a big party. And we tarried and we tarried and finally the people, Pastor, you gotta get down here. This is all about you today. So I went down, downstairs and and uh, somewhere about an hour later, there's a rumble upstairs, and they said, Randy West just got the Holy Ghost. And when I talked to Randy about it, he said, I couldn't leave. There was so much desire and hunger inside of me that it was unquenchable. I laid there and I said, Lord, today I'm not leaving till I get refilled with the Holy Spirit of God. Somewhere there's got to be a hunger. Those blessed are those that hunger and thirst after righteousness for they shall be filled. There's got to come a time that we understand it's for me. It's been proclaimed to me. It's been promised to me. It's a prophetic word hanging over my head. It is permissible. I have it. I can have it because I am blood bought. I am a child of God. I'm an heir of the king. So therefore, that which has been set aside for me, I shall pursue it until I get it. I want everything that God's got for me. 
Last week I called the horn of power that rose up against them to rebuild the temple of the horn of lack. How many remembers that? The horn of lack. It showed up in intimidation like you will never, you will never have enough. You're a loser. You're nothing. You're a nobody. You don't have what it takes. You don't have enough resources. You don't have enough education. You don't have enough ability. And the list goes on and on. You don't, you don't, you don't, you don't. Always condemning, intimidating. Pulling you down is called the horn of lack. And there's a lot of people that never can receive because they have believed the lie and the voice of the horn over the spoken word of God over their life. This week, I'm gonna call the second horn, and this is what we're gonna preach, the horn of limitation. Now, some of you are saying, now, what is the difference? The Holy Spirit is really speaking to the church about our confession, about our mindset, about our belief, about our thinking, about our faith, and about our talk. You better watch what you talk about because you'll give account for every idle word that you speak. It'll either, it'll either justify you or to condemn you. Can I have an amen? Amen. And it, 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 we are to say the things that are not as though they were. We, we got to watch. There is life and death is in the power of our tongue. Watch out what we say. Watch out what we speak. Because whatever you say, whatever comes out of you is what's inside of you. And if negative comes out of you, that's revealing who you are as a person. Amen? It's time to put on the helmet of salvation and protect your mind from the fiery darts of the devil. It's time to bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of the Lord Jesus Christ and to his word. I, it may seem that the horn of lack and the horn of limitation is the exact same thing, but they're not. The horn of lack does not want you to have anything at all. It wants you to die among the ruins. It wants to leave you desolate. He's out to kill, to steal, and completely annihilate and destroy. Amen? That's why First Peter 5 and 8, be sober, be visible, because your adversary, the devil, is like a roaring lion walking about, seeking whom he may devour. The thief cometh not but to kill, to steal, and destroy, John 10, 10. But it, the enemy wants to strip you of all dignity and all hope. He wants you to live in poverty. He wants you to do without. It wants the spirit of lack wants to leave you bare and fruitless. It wants to leave you empty and broken. It wants to totally annihilate you and utterly destroy you. It wants you to lay among the filth and the ruin. It wants to leave you with absolutely nothing, leaving you parched and dry and in drought and in famine. However, there is a difference in living in lack and living with limitation. If the enemy cannot destroy you for lack, the next thing he's going to come is then, okay, if I can't totally annihilate him, then I'll limit him. Come on. While the horn of lack won't let you have anything, yet the horn of limitation will allow you to have some, but not a lot. It offers a welfare mentality and creates a dependent mentality, and it allows you to live, but not live very good. How many is tired of not living very good? Jesus came to give you abundant life. Look at somebody and say, there's abundant life in Jesus Christ. Amen. How many believes that the joy is, uh, joy is unspeakable and full of glory? Amen. It's a joyful life to live a Christian life. But it causes the children of God to live in the land of promise. This land of limitation causes the children of God to live in the land of promise like refugees instead of like promise dwellers and landowners. The horn of limitation doesn't mind movement as long as it doesn't take us very far. The horn of limitation wants to put a lid on you, hold you down, while the horn of lack wants you to have absolutely nothing. Jesus described the people that was controlled by a horn of lack when they begin to talk about the different spices they could have sold, uh, sold and gave to the poor. And Jesus said, look, the poor you'll have with you always. 
And I, I don't mean to get mean here, and there's going to be a lot of people that will turn their eyebrows at me, but I, I want to tell you the truth because the truth will set us free. Where there is extreme poverty, it is a mindset controlled by a spirit. I don't care what anybody says. God don't want people to live in filth and among extreme poverty. Come on now. I'm not talking about a guy that his business has turned and he's, on, he's had bad luck and he's going through some dry times and he's having some difficulties and he's not driving a, a Cadillac or a Rose Royce. I'm not talking about that kind of a thing. But I'm talking about the people that live in extreme poverty. They live there because of a mindset and they tell you that if you take all of the wealth, world's wealth and you distribute it equally among everybody, they said that the people that you distribute it to, everybody having the same amount of money within 10 years the people that had money before you gave it away will have it again, and the people that didn't have it won't have it again. It's all because of their mentality. Come on now. Don't get mad at this preacher, but it's the truth. Haven't you ever seen somebody in extreme, extreme, extreme poverty Always need someone to pay their electric bill. Always need somebody to buy their groceries. Always need somebody to give their child diapers. Always give it. Always, always. Oh, for years. It's a mindset and it's a spirit. I've been young and now I'm old, David said, but I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor a seed begging bread. If God ain't big enough to take care of us, then he's not good enough to be our God. If he takes care of the little sparrows and if he knows every hair in your head, how much more are you worth than the many sparrows that he takes care of? Can I have an amen? I'm here to start proclaiming to the church at the palace of praise, it's time to start living. It's time to rise up. It's time to show the manifestation of the blessings and the goodness of God to this generation that's lost. Amen? Extreme poverty. Haven't you ever seen it though where it's not just extreme poverty, it's extreme filth, clutter, junk, trash. You go to some of the, you can't even hardly get into the house because of all of the trash. And there's, I don't know what it is, but sometimes some extreme poverty people have 95 cars parked in the front yard and won't sell a one of them. But they'll starve to death. Does that make sense? Now, guys, I'm not trying to be mean. I'm trying to break a spirit. There is a spirit that's been in Papa Bluff for years. It is a spirit of limitation. It's always been here. You can go into different regions and you'll find different quality of workers, different quality of restaurants, different quality of everything because that spirit of limitation is not upon the people. Come on, oh, I'm getting myself in trouble. I feel it. But the mentality is, let's just get by. Let's just, you know, let's just, if it works, why, 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 why change it? The model A worked, but thank God I come here today with a heater in my car. Cruise control. Leather seats. Electric mirrors. Come on, somebody help me. There's things better than what used to be. Can I have an amen? When we built the palace, we got all kinds of criticisms because it was a palace. You know why I built it? Because I want God's people to feel like they belong to something that's good and God is worthy of the best that we can ever give him. (laughs) 
people, when you even begin to try to beautify the house of God and keep it up, keep it maintained, keep it relevant, keep it, keep it in good shape, people are criticized the money you spend for remodeling. Can you imagine that? I cannot uh, comprehend that concept. God's house should be kept like the most beautiful, sacred thing that there is in the whole world. Amen. I got to get off of that. I'm going to be meddling. Even though the children of Israel did not totally succumb to this spirit of lack, so the enemy came at a different angle. The enemy never gives up. If he don't overcome you in one way, he'll come another way. So when Haggai comes on the scene, he found them not with lack, but he found them succumbed to the life of limitation. They had become totally satisfied living in the midst of ruin and rubble in their sealed homes. They had become so satisfied that they made paths among the clutter instead of cleaning it up. You know, me and my wife sometimes have different mentalities. Anybody else got that problem? Why make up the bed if you're going to crawl back in it the same night? That don't make sense to me. No one goes in our bedroom anyway. She says, I go in there. You ought to have more pride and dignity about yourself. Do you understand what I'm trying to get out here? Settling for clutter, ruin, decay. They become so satisfied that they made paths among the clutter instead of removing it like they're supposed to and cleaning it up. They learned to coexist with the ruin and the rubble as long as they had a place called home for themselves. It really didn't matter to them. They learned how to tolerate the rubble of destruction staring them in the face for 18 solid years. Amen? Every day was a reminder of the enemy's power and ability and a reminder of their weakness and their failures. Every day they were reminded of defeat and loss and death and destruction. They had succumbed to living among the stuff, just stuff. They failed to resist the pressure and the influences of the horn of limitation and they caved in to what we call a life of mediocrity. Amen? What good is it to leave Babylonian captivity if you're only going to go in the land of promise and live the same way you live there? What good is it? It's one thing to get the children of Israel out of Babylon, but it's another thing to get Babylon out of the children of Israel because you know what that culture was? It was a self-consumed culture. God never intended for the children of Israel to go and live among the ruin and tolerate the rubble of defeat for 18 solid years, making paths. God brought them out of Babylon from their captivity into the promised land to bless them and fill them and give them an overflow. He didn't cause them to go live 18 years among the rubble. Come on, say overflow with me. Say it again. One more time, three times a charm. That is the key word to what God's saying to the palace of praise. Overflow, overflow, overflow. That's the word in season for our church right now. You don't have to live staring at the wreckage of past defeat making paths around the monuments of hurt and pain all of your life, being reminded. Think about it. Everywhere they went, everywhere they traveled, they traveled in a path full of wreckage and past defeat and sorrow. Every time they went out their door, something that they seen would make them remember what had been. 
They walk out, well, there's where grandma lived. There's where Aunt Susie lived. There's where we bought groceries. There's where we paid taxes. There's where the temple stood. There's the was, 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 was. And it was always about how the enemy and that rubbish was sitting there saying, the enemy has defeated. Speaking to them every day. How can you live with those voices speaking to you every day? Each step they took created not only a memory of the past, but an image of the present. Stuck among the stuff and limited. Living, but not really moving or growing. <laughs> Sounds like a lot of churches, don't it? Amen? The wreckage overtook them, it overwhelmed them, and it caused them to buy into a spirit of limitation. Things that's not dealt with, I have found this out as a pastor, and even in my own life, things that you don't will with and you bury them, you ignore them, shove them to the side, you procrastinate, if you allow them to stay a long period of time, it develops into an image that creates a mindset. When we seek God's word and when we come across Exodus 20 and 5 where he says, thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that's in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in, under, in, in the water underneath the earth. Thou shalt not bow thyself to them nor serve them. You shouldn't serve other gods. And when we think of images, we think of it in the sense of carved wood, hewn stone, or other material like they did in the Old Testament. They make an idol out of stone, and then they bow down and worship it. They make an idol out of the wood, and everybody says, well, isn't that crazy? When we think of images like that, of idol gods, we think of making those images like they did in the Old Testament, then bowing down and worship. And in this 21st century, we call that crazy because we don't see people doing that much. But yet, I want to tell you something. We're doing it more than what you think that we're doing it. Most of us think we've never served an idol God. We've never served any kind of an image. Yet the images and the pictures in our mind, if they are allowed to stay and remain long enough in time and we don't deal with them, they become images that captivate us, control us over the spoken word of God in our lives. These images then become our God because whatever controls you and rules you is what you have come to believe in. Amen? These people just learned how to coexist with their mess. Instead of living behind walls of God's presence by building the temple, they learned to live among the walls of rubble that had been torn down. And then the walls of rubble creates a mindset that causes walls of limitation to be built within their minds. And we see people all the time sitting in churches across America, packing their hurt, carrying around their pain, holding it holding to their offense, put, building up walls, nurturing and pampering their wounds. They just walk around among the stuff. They carry it right in the house of God with them. All because they've never dealt with it, they've just learned to live with it. Instead of dealing with their stuff and cleaning it up, they learn how to maneuver around it. They accommodate it. They make excuses for it. They justify it. And in many cases, they will fit into the wishes that that thing dictates to them. They will mold themselves to the elements and the surroundings around them and they'll become a part of that culture. This is what we call serving other images. It means serving other gods. This is where we live with what the image dictates to us, which is defeat and poverty and limitation. Without them ever even realizing it, guys, they were literally serving other gods for 18 years because they were serving the images that was placed there by the words spoken over them by the enemy. 
They they lived beneath their privilege and they lost their power in the process. Does that sound like many of the churches today? All across America, we have churches that make excuses of where they're at. Well, we're on the wrong side of town. We don't have enough money. If I had the money that that church has, if I, I want to tell you, I've had that spoken over this church. Well, if we had the money of the palace, we could do everything too. Honey, you ought to have been with us at the very beginning. Time to quit making excuses and start saying, hey, it's the will of God for us to grow. It's the will of God for us to progress. It's the will of God for us to achieve. It's the will of God to pull down strong hurts. It's the will of God to see supernatural things happen. And by the grace of God, I'm going to step out on nothing and make something happen. I'm tired of sitting here among the stuff. Can I have an amen? The enemy could care less that you made it home representing salvation if you never learn how to live out your salvation and be free. What good is salvation if you never learn how to live it out and live it to its fullness? The horn of power could care less how much church that we have. As long as we don't get too radical and get caught up too much in the spirit, he'll let us have church all that we want. As long as we live in the confinements of our mess and our misery, he could care less that we come together and assemble together. Limited is the same as being controlled, is it not? Hello? Limited is the same as being controlled. And if all of us will really, really realize it and stop and analyze it, there's a part of our lives that's limited. And it's because we have given it away, our control and our dominion to the whatever mindset that it is that controls us. To be limited means to be restricted, kept from meeting full potential. Isn't that sad? To be limited means kept from the things that's permissible and possible. Though permissible and possible, yet limitation keeps you from achieving them. Oh, when I thought about this, it was rem- I was reminded of a couple stories that I read about, about the limitation of power, limiting power. One of the stories was a National Geographic special where they were taking, uh, uh, where they were talking about how to train elephants. Many of you probably have heard this and know this, but It was a story of how that a man could tame the power of one of the biggest and strongest beasts and animals on the face of the earth. They interviewed an elephant trainer who had a massive bull elephant standing there beside him with big, huge tusks, and he weighed, I forget how many tons. And this little, or this big uh, elephant standing there by this little bitty man was held by a rope, not a chain, but a tiny little bitty fine rope, a rope that you and I could have probably broke. The rope was tied to a cement block and every time the elephant would walk and it would feel the tug of that little rope, it would stop and back off. Here was one of the most powerful animals in the world that not only could have broke the rope, but he could have slung that cement block that it was tied to like a man throwing a little pebble. It would have been very easy for him. Here was this strong bull elephant being controlled and limited by a tiny rope a fine little rope tied around his leg to a cement block. When they asked how and why did this elephant stop at the tug of that little bitty fine rope, the trainer replied, well, we get the elephants when they're young and then we connect a chain around their leg and then the chain is connected to a cement block that is concreted in the earth. And as young as this elephant is, there's no way to break free even though that he would like to or even try. Inevitably, the moment comes when his mind, the elephant's mind, accepts that this is as far as he'll ever be able to go. Even when the elephant then grows up and becomes big, he's, he's not even the same little elephant anymore 
yet he's used to being controlled by a simple tug. Therefore, it says the elephant will not go past the limits or the length of his rope. I got to thinking about that, and I thought, how sad. Here's that big beast of an animal, and every time he comes to the end of the rope, boom, he stops and he backs off. Not knowing he could be free, he could just break the rope and go on. But it's all cause he's been trained by a mindset. A mindset is holding back, he's limited. And then not only that, what is so sad about it, it says that the limits and the boundaries of that big beast is set by how long that the trainer wants the rope to be. That he can contain him within a five step radius or a 10 step radius, it doesn't matter. Or a 100 step radius, it doesn't matter. You can give him a long rope where he can begin to get more freedom, but when he feels the tug, he won't go no farther than that tug. The next story that I read was about monkeys and I preached a series on this. I read it out of a book and I think it was The Purpose Driven Life if I remember correctly. But the story was about a monkey that had been put upon a fast, was not allowed to eat. And they threw the monkey into a room with a tree with some bananas at the top of it. And of course, as soon as the monkey got in the room, boom, up the tree he went to get him banana because he was hungry, he hadn't eaten several days. And when, they, when he went up the tree to get the banana, they pulled him down and spanked him and put the banana back up in the tree. A few moments pass, he goes back up the tree, gets the banana, they pull him back down, take the banana away, and they kept doing that until finally they observed and watched and the monkey just sat in there hour upon hour upon hour looking up there at the tree full of bananas, but he wouldn't go up and he wouldn't get it because of the discipline that took place when he did. But what was so strange about it is that they went and got another monkey that they had on a fast and threw it in with the other monkey. And he was new to the room, and so he got in there, the first thing he seen was some bananas. You know what happened? He ran up the tree, grabbed him a banana, and what he did, the other monkey ran up and got him and pulled him down and whipped him and took the banana back up and put it back up in the tree. We laugh at that, but I want to tell you the truth of it is, many times you and I become like the elephant and the monkey, spiritually speaking. And one of the things that I have found out, people that do not progress, they don't like people who do. And sometimes your biggest war is not with the devil, it's by the person next to you that refuses to grow with you. And when you climb the tree to get the banana, the other one's pulling you down saying, stop, 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 because your progress makes them look weak. This thing's communicable. The fire's communicable, it can rub off, or the negative can rub off as well. And when you got people sitting around whining, crying, talking bad, making excuses, talking about people, and all that, all that is is a monkey keeping you from going into your progress. Come on, somebody help me preach. It's time to get away from that monkey. It's time to say enough's enough. Whatever you hang around is what you're going to become. So hang around people of influence and people of power and people of faith. Give the Lord praise for that. I don't have time to finish my story, but I want to tell you something. We live in a land where we are so tricked. One of the greatest psalms in all the world is Psalms 23. It's a song about life, hope, expectation. 
It's, it's a song that David would sing in order to encourage and revive people. They would play that psalm and they would sing it. And then we come here in the 21st century and you know what we do? We turn it into a funeral song. Psalm. It has nothing to do with death. Everybody wants to look at Psalms 23 and say, oh, that's the funeral psalm. And they want to tie everything in it to the time that we die, not to the time that we live. Hello? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Is that lack? Is that limitation? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. <laughs> oh, I got about an hour preaching right here. David's singing to the people, the Lord is our shepherd and I shall not want. There's no want in God. And then the second, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He what? He leadeth me what? Beside the steel waters. Woo! What's the next one? He leadeth me beside the still waters and what does he do? What? No, not yet. What? Somebody said it over here. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He restored my soul. Come on, help me out. That's revival, isn't it not? Is that not revival, being restored and being revived? I got to say it fast, folks, or I can't say it. Amen. But he goes on and he's talking about all these wonderful things that God's doing. The high that he leads me, he's a God that shall not want. He's a God that, that leads me beside still waters. He's a, lot, a God that leads me in green pastures. Come on, green pastures. Isn't that something? You remember when, the, the, when Jesus went out into the wilderness or went out in the, the Bible says the desert and the people followed him. He couldn't even get away in the desert. And the, they came to him and said, Master, the people hunger. And you know what it says? What's so odd to me? He says, what do you have? And they find the little boy with the lunch and they get the lunch and they're going to divide it up and they set them in fifties and hundreds. You know what it says? And he set them down in green grass. Green grass in the desert. Moses, what did he do? He led Jethro's flock on the backside of the desert. He went through the desert to get to the best feeding grounds where sheep had never been before and it wasn't overgrazed and picked to pieces. God knows how to put you into green pastures. He knows how to restore your soul. He knows how to give you everything that you desire to satisfy your want. When David sinned and when he, when he done what he done and God came to him and he said, David, I've given you gold, I've given you silver, I've given you houses. If it had not been enough, all you had to do is ask it. I would have given you more. Amen. Amen. But then you get right in the middle of that psalm. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Uh-oh, there's the horn. Right in, the middle, right in the middle of not wanting, right in the middle of still waters, right in the middle of green pastures, not, right in the middle of restoration and revival and Holy Ghost power, right in the middle of all those wonderful things. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. There comes the horn. But notice three things that David says. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. 
for thy rod and thy staff are come for me. I'm not paying attention to the horn. I'm not limited here. God, the same God that was with Daniel in the lion's den, the same God that was with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace, that same God's going to be with me. When I walk through the, when I walk through the floods, it ain't going to overtake me. When I go to the rivers, it's not going to overflow me. And when I walk through the fire, not burn me. And then I won't even be a smell of scorch on my clothing. I'll fear no evil. For thy rod and thy staff, they come from me. Now watch. Thou anointest my head with oil. What does the oil do? What does the anointing do? It breaks the yoke that the horn set into motion. It is the anointing that breaks the yoke and the power of sin over our lives. And then what's the next word? My cup runneth over. There's the overflow. It is the overflow that keeps us from being limited by the influence of the horn. It's that, everybody says, oh, y'all are always constantly talking about getting God's presence. I want to tell you, what I get today is only, only giving me the initiative to get something more tomorrow. And you can't go from realm one to realm 10 and bypass two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, and nine. Each step that you get something from God today is only giving you access to something better tomorrow. It's called growth. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. And surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Isn't that powerful? That ain't talking about eternity. Paul ain't, I mean, uh, David ain't saying when I get to heaven, I'll get by, by green pastures. When I get to heaven, I'll get by still waters. When I get to heaven, I won't want what I want. When I get to heaven, I'll live in the house of the Lord forever. No, 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 no. David said all the rest of my life. He ain't dead yet. He's saying right here in the here and now, this thing ain't about eternity. He's saying it's about here and now of not wanting, of living in green pastures, living beside still waters. It's right here in the now that I can have the anointing that breaks the yoke of the power of the horn. And now goodness and mercy is going to follow me all the days of my life. I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Would you stand with me, please?